0: I will spend up to my 42nd birthday single and childless. Wow, how did that happen? I'm Helen Gallagher. This is Happy and Childless, a podcast designed to help you move into your next chapter in life, fulfilling new dreams, finding new passions and starting to live a fulfilling life again. I'm on this journey too, so we can do this together. I will be speaking with inspirational men and women and asking what happiness looks like to them, sharing tips and techniques which can help us move forward into our next chapter, happy and childless the happy and childless app is now lying i'm so proud to launch this app which is a connections app for childless not by choice men and women connection changed my life and i want the same for you also this app was born out of the desire to help others make long-lasting friendships with like-minded people so you can feel seen heard and most importantly understood download the happy and childless app via the app store and google play On today's episode, I will be speaking with Jessica Hepburn. Jessica underwent a decade of fertility treatment, resulting in 11 failed IVF attempts, multiple miscarriages and an ectopic pregnancy. Jessica then went on to swim the channel and climb Mount Everest in her quest to understand the meaning of motherhood and if motherhood makes you happy. To answer the question, can she have a fulfilling life without children? Hope you enjoy this as much as I did.
1: Jessica, welcome to Happy and Childless. Hello, Helen. Thank you. It's lovely to be here on this snowy December morning. I mean, what an inspiration you are to so many people. I don't know about that, but thank Oh, God, you
0: are. First thing I wanted to say and acknowledge was, just from reading your books, which I can't recommend enough, by the way, um, it's just what you went through with 11 IVF attempts. And reading through your books,
1: like, the pain and the struggle just really comes through. And I'm just so sorry you had to go through all that. Oh, bless you. Yeah, I, I do think 11 is at the extreme end of the spectrum. But I am, like, quite an extreme person. Yeah, it was really, really hard. And, you know, that that whole journey has defined who I am. And it's, it's still part of me. Like, I, I'm not in the tunnel anymore. Mm. But, like, I will always sort of be coming out of that time like I'll never not be able to see it if that makes sense no
0: absolutely makes sense I feel the same but I think what does come through after reading the pursuit of motherhood and 21 miles is is just the absolutely immense mental and physical strength that you
1: have massive oh thank you I mean I think like like anyone who goes to IVF has to have strength I mean, and you might not realise that before you start, but then once you're in it, you realise like how hard it is. In fact, this is just like, you know, like often when you're having a chat, something that's happened really recently comes to your mind. But I have a like a friend who's like a decade younger than me, who's supporting another friend going through IVF at the moment on a sort of solo motherhood journey. Um, And she's just had her eggs collected. And I just got this like, You know, this is her first round of IVF. And I just got this like panicked text. Mm. And sweet, like she's just come out of egg collection. She's got this number of eggs. Is that okay? I just like immediately like went back to that place where you feel totally out of control. Yeah, you do not know. I think that is the hardest thing about it is that you are on a journey and you do not know how or when it is going to end. What well, you can control you can control the ending to certain to a certain extent, you know because you can say "Stop, but it's so hard to say "Stop, you know it's like a long journey to get to that point like it's such a difficult thing for anyone to go through, and until you're in it, you just you don't understand how it consumes no. your life and then obviously in the massive achievement of you know climb
0: everest and. <laughs> So in the channel like I'm not going to let you not talk about this because like <laughs> I am amazed because at 45 I just feel like I'm past it like I am my well, biggest challenge is exercise I mean we've spoken before about eating and drinking which is a challenge and um, something I love doing but yeah I like to do that but that also I guess and from reading your book out of your control as well isn't it because nature yeah isn't in, in our control either is it
1: yeah yeah I, I mean too like I'll, I'll talk on that for a moment but like before I I like answer that like I am not an athlete you know like yeah. I in any way shape or form like I am more astonished than anyone that I have done these things and I've only done these things because of what I went through but like in school I was like the arty one not the sporty one and don't look at me and think you know like well I couldn't do that because of like anyone can attempt these things but you've got to want to you know you've got to invest the time and energy um you know finances as well um to to achieve them but yes what in answer to your question about like yeah what I had this like terrible thing that happened when I was training for the channel so I came out of my 11th round of IVF and I thought like I've got to do something different with my life that I'd lost a decade of my life to Project Baby and I felt like I need to do something and I just decided on this like I'm going to swim the channel and I call it like I have no idea why I sort of landed on that thing because I wasn't a really very good swimmer. I wasn't an open water swimmer. I'd never really done any open water swimming, you know, other than like at the beach on holiday, don't you think? <laughs> I did like swimming when I was a kid. And I, I just got, I describe it as like part childhood dream, part midlife crisis. And I sort of like thought, right, I'm going to go and swim the channel, English channel from England to France. And I went off on this journey. And yet the most terrifying thing moment was that in the sort of lead up to doing the swim which I was swimming solo I did a relay and I wrote about this in 25 mm. 21 miles so I did a relay with two other people and what happens in a relay is you swim you swim the channel in sections so like you swim for an hour then you hand, you get out you hand over to someone else and they swim for an hour and then you go hopefully all the way France, and it's obviously easier than doing a solo, but it's still really, really hard. Our relay had to be stopped after a few hours because the weather turned mm. and it got really, really like horrible and, um, you know, like w- waves crashing over the boat and the, the pilot, the captain of the boat pulled us out. And it was a terrible moment for me, Helen, because I realised in that moment, oh my God, swimming the channel is just like going through IVF. Whether I get across is like out of my control because if the sea or the weather decides to turn and I'm halfway through a swim as I am now and I mean this is a relay it's not it's not like doing my solo I mean what happens what happens if this happens when I'm doing my solo swim and so that was the parallels between my IVF journey I had no idea when I started Mm. And I sort of realized, and mountains are exactly the same. The mountain decides whether you can climb her. But in a way, I mean, like, I don't know why the universe, like I wasn't looking to find these parallels, but the universe sort of gave them to me. Mm. and, And we may talk more about this. I have just learned so much acceptance, really, through these two challenges with nature, the sea and the mountains, that like something bigger than me, like in control, you, you know, uh, in the same way as like, na- you know, like uh, only nature decides whether you can conceive and carry a baby. No, absolutely. And we definitely will talk about this. Um, but I think one of the things that I wanted
0: to talk about before we move on to like, sort of how we moved forward is that decision to walk away. And for me, there was a moment where um, I'd been separated from my husband for, I think, over a year. We hadn't really seen each other, but we had an option of yeah. Um, we had the IVF before um, on option of, and I rang him in panic. I woke up in the night. I need IVF. I need that shot because before after forty two there was no option, and I was like, we've got to go for IVF. We hadn't even seen each other for a long time, so this whole thing was a crazy scenario. But it was a panic. And after the consultant told me that basically my I hadn't got enough eggs, they weren't, it wasn't going to happen. They wouldn't do it, and my chances were over. You know, the fact that I wasn't with my husband, who was the only person I wanted to have children with. Yeah, um, and this is where I wanted to speak about because. You mentioned it's important to you that you did everything you could so you could walk away and say, you know, you tried everything and, you know, you don't regret anything. But for me, it's very, very different. And I read that and I was like, wow, maybe I should have tried harder. There are people in the child's community who feel sometimes not excluded, but that they're not validated or part of the community because maybe they didn't have an opportunity for IVF or they didn't try because they chose not to. And I look, I listen to that, but I still look at my situation and I don't regret not going down the route because I did it for the right reasons for everybody at the time. You know, I didn't want to be with a child in a broken marriage. That dream of a baby was supposed to be in a happy marriage and a happy partnership and it wasn't at that time so it wasn't quite the right thing for me it's it's crazy how some people try everything some people don't I mean would you ever look back at the 11 attempts and would you do the same thing
1: again well I mean yes because I can only live the life that I'm living yeah and I try to live without regrets I mean you you (laughs) mentioned the amazing Edith Fierce songs and a regretter rien. you know like I have no you know I try to live my life without regrets I don't want to be someone who looks back and says I mean like you know like I know things now that if I had known then having been through 11 rounds of IVF in a decade of fertility treatment I then wrote my first book and came out to the world about my infertility that changed my life exponentially I became a campaigner you know like everything that I've done subsequently and I know so much more about fertility than I did when I was starting out in the journey. So, of course, you know, like if I had this information then, yeah. like I might have done things differently. But do I regret what I did? Um, you know, would I want to turn back the clocks? N- n- no, no, neither of those things. And th- and I think that the imp- there's there's this quote that I, I, I mean, I often mention this when I'm interviewed because it's like a quote I live my life by, which is by the Japanese writer Kasu Ishiguro, where he says, he was asked, he said this in an interview, um, because he's Japanese, and he came to the UK when he was very little. And he's talking about his life, there is another life I might have had, but I am having this one. And what he means is that if he'd been stayed in Japan and been brought up in Japan, his life would have been very different. And I think that about myself, you know, like there is another life I might have had, which was having like a family, ideally without IVF, you know, like naturally in the way that we imagined imagine we're going to get pregnant. And that I would like now coming up to Christmas, be sitting around, you know, presiding over a big family dinner table, like telling it, you know, organizing Christmas exactly how I always like imagined I would have it. As an adult, but I haven't got that life. I've got a different life. I've got a life that I, you know, have just come back from climbing Everest, and I'm going to be spending it with my girl fam, you know, like because I always say that all the men in our life have died or deserted us. So my (laughs) mum, my sister, my niece, my great nieces, and we're all going away to the Suffolk Seaside, and we've been doing this for the last, you know, five or six years. And that's my that's the life I'm living, and it's amazing. And I wouldn't swap it for anything. But what I would say is that like, it was interesting when you were, you just hinted at that thing where you said like, oh, you may, you know, you made me think should I maybe did I? I mean, I'm sure you don't because you've been on your own journey. I'm sure you feel the same as me. You don't have any regrets. Everyone's, story is different that is one of the things that I have really really learned when once I came out about my own fertility and realized I was part infertility and realized I was part of this silent epidemic you know I know that there are the reason why my books have resonated with so many people is that there are touchstones that everyone feels like Christmas being a really hard time of year it really is that's just sort of a universal I'm not I'm not saying it's a universal feeling but many people who haven't got the families they long for this time of year really hard but other than those touchstones everyone's story is different like one round of IVF for someone is just as hard as 11 rounds of IVF for someone else you have to take your Story and know that your sort you are unique in your story and your, your journey to acceptance and to your different life that you're leading is your journey and you and that then just sort of leads into the other thing which is like this terrible thing and of course social media doesn't help with it comparison that we're all guilty of that of going online or 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 even looking at you know the people who are in our day to day lives and feeling like you're not enough you know like it's a it's a human feeling you just have to stop yourself from doing that i know that sometimes my life can look really shiny you know and my journey beyond treatment can look like wow you've turned this really sad thing into something really positive now but like I live in the sadness every single day the sadness of them the new sadnesses my relationship then went to break down we were just talking earlier before we started recording about I'm the carer for my 90 year old mom I've just been in hospital with her I thought she was going to die over the weekend you know like sadness is like constant so like comparison you have to learn to just try not to do it not not beat yourself up for doing it because it's natural and normal, but like know that no one has got a shinier life than you. We're all just struggling.
0: Because the difficulty is when you say, do I regret? I don't regret not trying the IVF at that time because it wasn't right. It was the right thing to walk away. But I cannot express to people enough the turmoil I went through. It was like being in a revolving door. You know, do I stay in a Mm -hmm. marriage that isn't particularly happy just to get that baby? Will that make it better for us? He was my best friend. We loved each other so much, but things weren't right. So the absolute turmoil I was going through inside of this is my last chance, that ticking clock, that should I go for? For it. Even turning up a year after we'd separated to go for an IVF appointment. I mean, what is going on? What the happy child this is is to sort of say, you know, accept, acknowledge that turmoil and try and help people to say, like you say, your journey is different. You t- you did it eleven times. You tried eleven times. I didn't, but my our journeys are, are still difficult. They still have a lot of grief. I you know I do feel sadness. And people say, happy and childless. And I I named it happy and childless because that's what I want to portray. And some people, you know, they misunderstand it and think I'm just happy and childless and never wanted children. But I'm passionate that you can be happy and childless, but you have to process all the different emotions that you go through, which you know and grief we'll talk about in a minute you know is one of the the massive disenfranchised grief of people not accepting that if you haven't ever had a child you've not lost a child you know without being IVF for example everybody's story is different you're absolutely right and comparing to other people's lives is and and your life is never the same people look and think wow you know even people with children don't necessarily mean they're happy people married that doesn't necessarily mean they're happy oh
1: definitely not i mean i call and again i'm referring to 21 miles now because this passage is in 21 miles and it's it's actually been recorded a lot i mean like it's been sort of an honor and spoken in sort of parliament and stuff um trying to explain what the pain of not having a child is and i call it the pain of never you know and all the nevers that we will never experience you know like feeling that first kick of life inside you you know going out and buying maternity clothes or going to pregnancy yoga if that's what you want to do or writing an out of office saying I'm away on maternity leave and then to all those you know heartbreaking things like never hearing anyone call you mum or hearing those first steps or words but So I call that the pain of never. And what I would say is that there is no hierarchy within any pain and especially not within the pain Mm. of never. Perhaps the hardest thing about having children is not having them or or losing that if you have wanted them. Losing the child that, you know, like, you know, losing a child or losing a pregnancy, you know, it's almost harder or is harder than than all the struggles you might go through with being a mother, you know, or that parents mm. tell you. There is no hierarchy of this. Mm. And there are so many in the same way that everyone's stories are different. Everyone's pain looks different. And, you know, I'm really moved by what you said there about your decision not to go through IVF. Because I think one of the things that people forget often in their pursuit of motherhood or parenthood is the child that they're trying to have and I I write about this quite a lot I wanted to have a child for me it was all about me and my life and how I wanted to shape my life and you know and my partner together but it wasn't about the child there was no child going can I be born please you know (laughs) you know like I listening to you I immediately thought about that you made a decision in a way for your unborn child that it perhaps wouldn't have been right to have a child in a relationship that had broken down, even though your husband is your best friend. And if was. you gonna <laughs> anyone, it was him, you know, mm. like you made a really brave decision for that unborn child who is your unborn child, by the way, that is oh, your okay. child. Yeah, yeah. And I've never really talked about
0: it like that, to be honest, but yeah, I think, I think the key thing, and one of, actually great point to move on to where I was talking about, because lots of things that I read um, about yourself, I have, Certain things coming apart from obviously being able to climb a mountain also in the channel. But you know, things like unexplained infertility, you know, unexplained infertility was my story, being sad around that 40 year. And one thing that you mentioned is anger that that manifested due to the disappointment and sadness of not having the children. And that was a huge thing for me in relationships, uh, in my current relationship and in relationships with people at work and with my friends, you know, the anger manifested. I'm not an angry person. You're not an angry person, as you say. It literally was this sadness inside, which was coming out in in different ways, which I hated about myself, but you acknowledged it. And I was like, God, that's me. Even to like having a tarot card reading that you didn't want to tell anyone about because, and you felt like a fool. I literally kept Sally psychics in business, like genuinely, (laughs) like so embarrassed now, but literally, because the desperation of, do I leave my husband? Do I stay with my husband? Should I have a child? Will I be okay? Without a child, the questions I asked these psychic yeah. people or whoever was at the end of the phone, I'm not sure they were actually psychic people, but and even you say as well, and going back to the point about me choosing not to do the IVF, is that I only wanted the baby with the man I love and in a stable, happy it, you know, my mum and dad are together, they're in a in a marriage. I would say it's always happy, but they are a happy, you know, they are a couple together. And I wanted that for me. That was the that was the dream. It wasn't me being on my own. Some people want to do it on their own. I just didn't want to do that. So Leaving my husband was the first thing of like, well, that's, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to have a child now.
1: The writing is like, I start, I never had written anything before. I always say this apart from reports for work. And then I started writing about my fertility journey. I mean, quite a long way, you know, like it was sort of like six or seven years in I sort of it was so therapeutic and I Mm. I do think you know any sort of form of creative practice it can be really an amazing way to sort of like explore your feelings and uh very cathartic but then I sort of also felt like it was a great story you know that hadn't, Mm. hadn't been told enough and I wanted to write the book that you know, I wanted to read, and 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 the amazing thing then about it coming out into the world, like having been really, and my writing is really transformational for me personally, is then mm. sharing it with the world, and people then responding to it, and you know that is one of the thing, and I'm sure you get this with your podcast. Mm. You know, people say like, "Thank you so much." Mm. Well, expressing what I feel and making me feel less alone and you know or like amazingly when people have said you know you've made me go think about swimming or like running or climbing mountains you know I mean it's just amazing you know it's so
0: powerful it's so valuable and and you are you you don't take compliments very well
1: but you are extremely inspirational you
0: know so community massively helped me move forward should people sharing their stories is so so valuable for people but moving on to some of the things that um that were you know I I know that the same for you So grief I didn't realize it was grief I mean that's crazy that I didn't realize what I was going through was grief and once I did
1: then then it made it easier for me to be able to deal with that there's no question that it is a form of grieving. I mean, it's really interesting because like I do quite a lot of like interviews and like one wants to get to a point where you're like really definitive about things. And yet, like, things are always changing in my head. What I feel like I'm realising is that there are... The the reason why I'm going to say this is you talked about anger. And I I write about anger in my first book and how I've decided that anger is like a symptom of sadness. And and actually, I'm revisiting anger at the moment. I'd sort of kind of dealt with what I thought I knew it was and what it wasn't. And then I suddenly realised really quite recently, I'm still angry about some stuff. <laughs> but if I, go, if I, go, I am angry. Actually, maybe it's not sadness. Maybe it's just bloody anger because I'd sort of worked out what I thought anger was, or my that my my feelings around that emotion. And I, I think I'm saying this because I sort of feel slightly the same about grief. I think there is grief in this journey for those of us who wanted children and weren't able to have it, and I do think grieving is important. And I think you know, if it helps people to call it grief and to go on a grieving process, that's great and I think important. But I'd also say that like, if you don't feel like it's grief, or you don't want to grieve it in this particular way right now, or maybe you don't feel it now, but you'll feel it in 10 years time, you know, all this is a way of saying, like, there's like a whole gamut of emotions that we as human beings feel at different times in different measures. And the key is navigating those in sort of, a curious way that you can at any one time I I suppose that's what I feel and I'm sorry if that hasn't sort of come out clearly because like sometimes when I do these interviews I I like I I am just sort of really trying to work it out myself and I always want to try and be authentic to what I'm feeling grief may look different for everyone oh and look the sunlight I'm looking at you obviously this is a like people are just listening I can see this you're bathed in this amazing like December sunlight you look like an angel oh I do not like an angel I'm definitely not one do you know what I mean does that make sense what I'm saying
0: and I think one thing I don't particularly like is labels so yeah yeah acknowledging that there was something there like grief that I had to process because I just didn't I wasn't acknowledging the fact of the, the enormity of the loss. Of the losses you know and you can grieve yeah. breaking up with somebody you know that's okay and not acknowledging it it, it you know can cause you more problems is, is the only thing that oh, I realize really grief and joy exist every day sat by, side by yeah. side with me because absolutely. I am a positive person my life I am living my best life at this moment in time you know and I'm so I am happy but there are so many triggers that still you know like Christmas is, is absolutely a difficult time you know and my partner's daughter's had a baby recently she's absolutely beautiful but there is more and more daily reminders of what I'll never have you know I, I, do, I would do look after her but that little bit of imposter syndrome you know am I capable and responsible of looking after a baby well of course I am I mean responsible adult you feel like whoa no one's going to want to put the baby with you because yeah. you haven't experienced it but all new mums haven't experienced it and they look after their children but you know so there's, there's a lot of daily triggers for me of the nevers you know the pain of never definitely is in my life a lot at the moment but at the same time there's a whole lot of joy for that baby and for me being able to to love her in a way that isn't a grandparent love you know I'm too young to be grandparent in my opinion <laughs> um yeah. you know and I'm not a mother it, it's to me it's a friend you know like I am to anybody else it's being able to be a friend and guide her and look after her and, and have fun with her because you know and be the fun the fun person in her life yeah that grief and joy they do coexist don't they
1: definitely uh oh i really share so many things about you what you said there like that thing about for ages i was like paralyzed when people gave me their babies oh yeah you know like there's a sort of like a weird thing that happened actually again i'm just thinking about this for the first time it's a weird thing that happened for a long you know like i write about this a lot you know that when people stop when they know you're struggling to conceive and then they stop inviting you to sort of baby showers and christmas because they don't want to harm your feelings and and actually, that makes things worse because you Definitely. feel like a leper. And it also makes you sort of feel like, oh, God, they don't trust me with their, like, they don't ask me to baby. You know, like, I had a monopoly on babysitting when I was a kid. You know, everyone wanted me to babysit their Exactly, kid. when you were like 13 yeah. or 14. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then suddenly, you know, like, no one no one wants to leave their child with you. And you think, oh, <laughs> you know, like, clearly I'm not responsible. You know, I'm like, yeah. clearly paternal. And it's because they're not wanting to, you know, like, often you don't know because these things are uns- Spoken because it's such a difficult topic that it's not because they don't want you to it's just because they don't want to make you feel bad or whatever and then like because when I came out and I do describe it as coming out about my infertility and it became less a sort of hidden hurt a hidden and you know the shame dissipated and everything you know now people go out of their way to give me their babies to hold Mm -hmm. because because i said all that thing about not wanting to be excluded. And, you know, I do feel exactly what you just said to begin with. I was like, oh, but can I hold, I don't know how to hold a baby. I don't (laughs) don't want to drop your baby. I don't want you to think that I want to harm your baby because I haven't got a baby. All these terrible things go around. Oh my God, it's so true. You're laughing. You're laughing. And the thing is, um, this is what's so important about what you're doing here. And what I've tried to do with my writing and my work is that we have these conversations. We have these conversations so that everyone knows that this is like, this is a thing. And going back to what we've said, like, said earlier about grief I think the thing whatever you want to call it whatever journey you need to go on what you you know from whatever pain you've got because I also really really connected with something you said earlier Helen when you said that like because my relationship broke down after our 11 rounds of IVF and that's why we didn't consider other forms of parenthood like adoption there is no just in adoption, but adop- it is an alternative route or egg donation or surrogacy. But like I wasn't in a position to consider those things because my relationship had broken down. And and that relationship breaking down was just as hard in many ways, exactly as right, you, right. Um, and it's something that I've written, not written, it's sort of alluded to, the re- breakdown of it in my second book, but it's explored much more in the third book. So whatever your pain is, you know, you have to... Work out what it is. You have to go on a journey with it to do whatever you need to do. <laughs> Call it grieving if you want to do what I think you I can see in your energy that you've done. And I hope that I bring in my energy to the world, which is you're open again. Your heart is open. This step grandchild that you've got now, of course, it, tr- it triggers a lot, but your heart is still open to the joy it can bring you. That is the position that I want to encourage everyone to get to. And to go back to what I said about there is another life I might have had, but I'm having this one, you know, like that quote is so important to me, because it acknowledges that there is another life that I wanted, that I still want, that I still grieve to use that word that I haven't got that I still miss daily, but I'm having this one. And this one is full of joy too. And it's like living in that, in both those places, which seems to me to be the trick of life. There's
0: not just sadness and, and difficulty in life around childlessness. You know, there are, at the same time, you know, when I was 40, it was it was even just getting older and not looking the way I used to look and not feeling the way and feeling tired. And what, what was I doing with my work? It's so many different things that you have to consider. You know, you, you've got this childlessness thing, but, you know, and I'll talk about the, the happy childless life matrix, where there's different boxes in my life. And the only box I ever focused on was, The marriage for a long, long time, for a decade of my life, was marriage and children. And then when that went pear-shaped and, you know, and disappeared from my life, I was empty. I had absolutely nothing left. And so no wonder I felt so lost and empty. Also going back to a point that we spoke about, and I'll put it as a summary point for later, but it's very relevant for now. And that is the, you say that could the thought of not being a mum be worse than it actually could be? You know, that actually is. Oh, Oh, I've related to that so much because on the journey to the grandchild I was so triggered by it I I thought it was the unknown. It was a baby in our lives. I'd chosen at that point to be with somebody who'd got adult children. You know, that I didn't have to deal with the child, the children situation. But now there was going to be a baby like in our lives on a very regular basis. And I was floored by it initially. I mean, I was so happy for her because I love her to pieces. So she yeah, wants yeah. it. And I am, I was so, so, so happy for her. And it goes back to that, being happy for somebody, but feeling sad for yourself. And you saying, why is there not a word in the English language yeah. for that? Um, because that was so real for me at that time. But you can't can't be open up where well, you feel like you can't say it because you feel like you're diminishing their happiness or that you're being selfish or a little bit bitter. But I, I really, really struggled until the baby was born. And the first day we went to see the the baby, it was like a calm came over me. My natural self came back. You know, my loving, empathetic, want to mother and nurture. And yeah, you I know, couldn't wait to get hold of the baby. I was like, I'm not going to hold her. I can't do that. I won't be able to cope with that. And then the minute I was like, Give me the baby! And literally. You know, I felt amazing then, and I really couldn't wait to see the journey and how she'd grow and to be part of that. Mm-hmm. And that is the, the statement you say because the thought of having a, a grandchild in my life, wow, it was absolutely completely different from actually being. But it's amazing. I mean, I, I play a different role now, and that's important yeah. to recognise. You know, I was sad that I wasn't the grandma or the nanny, or but I'm called grandma. grandmops, and grandpa, because. I couldn't, I couldn't, maybe it's a little bit of that, well, I, I don't deserve to be called a grandma or it, but grandmops is fun, you know, and it's, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to represent in a life, so, yeah, you know, it's a bit controversial to say, could the thought of not being a mum be worse than actually living, not being a mum, but it's so true, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, and I think for me, you know, it. It, and we think we've referred to this earlier, it's that like, it's the living in limbo is so hard, right? Mm. It's like not knowing how your story ends. It's harder than sort of knowing how, because we can deal with whatever life throws at us. We can, we absolutely can. Look at what we went through as a, like a world in the last few years, exactly. <laughs> right? We got through it. You know, even those of us who had huge sadness- in that time, or disappointment—that's what human beings do. You know, they adapt. So I think, I think it's not knowing how it. The thought of it is often worse than the actuality. And I think being in limbo—you know—once you've made the decision that you are
0: going to move on, that massively um, changed my experience of life because that turmoil, that revolving door, the sickness—I literally felt nauseated by my head spinning. On should I, sha I, will I be okay, won't be okay? Are people happy without children? Where are they? It, it was an awful, awful feeling. Yeah, yeah. But actually, dealing with it was easier. Say about the grief. And um, when you spoke to the, the women in the 21 Miles, um, and there was the Iron Woman, and you spoke about that grief led you to do something extreme. And, you know, it's, it is different for everybody. You know, I, I don't think I've got it in me to do what you've done, but, you know, it's an opportunity. The grief gave you an opportunity to do something different in life. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, and you'll find that because I met these 21 women in the yeah. book um, that I with the idea that 21 famous women or, um, you know, inspirational women, I asked them to meet um, and eat with me to help me get fat to swim the channel. It was just amazing. And yes, I met um, Eddie Brocklesby, who was is the oldest woman to have done an Iron Ironman. Um, and she came to all that for losing her husband, you know, grief became her opportunity to do something in her life that she wouldn't have done. And I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I just I wanted to go back to that thing about you talking about there isn't a word in the, you know, I did write this, mm. there isn't a word in the English language for feeling happy for someone and sad for yourself at the same time. But I, and I've come up with this word, which is melancholy, which I use like mm-hmm. half of folly and half of joy. So I, and now, you know, like, because I've actually, I haven't written, I actually have written about that for the first time I've written about the emotion in that first book, but I hadn't come up with the word. And then I sort of like now sort of Brilliant. come up with the word and talked about it quite lot. Like, oh, well, everyone can come up with their own word. But I do think that like, we're really missing that word in the English language. And um, because I think once you have that word and what I found now, it, I can see from your face how much joy you're getting from your step-grandchild and it feels really genuine. But I think also having the word, like because you've embraced that, Whilst also clearly acknowledging the law, lo- you know, the difficulties and the loss with your close family. Uh, but I think like now, like I say, because I've used this word quite a lot and people I'm close to know me, know my story, know my use of this word. I just say to them, like, I feel melancholy about that. You know, they get it. Doesn't mean that you're not happy for them. You are happy then. You're sad for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a brilliant word. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Can we talk about self-belief? Yes. yes. Self
0: belief, there's a thing that just kept coming out of your book. You said you weren't surprised that you swam the channel because you had huge belief in yourself. But there's a common theme that came through the book about failure, about, you know, you say, yeah, yeah, trying for children, you know, and having so many attempts with a determination not to fail, Mm -hmm. and that you didn't want to fail again when you were in the water. You didn't want to fail again. So you use that word fail Mm -hmm. and you've used the words felt like a failure. And it seems so opposing to this huge self-belief I don't get it (laughs) Um,
1: I I think it's brilliant that you've identified that because it's really true I am really really fearful of failure still you know still and I think that comes we took again like at the top of the show before we started recording we were talking about how our childhood influences who we are and it definitely comes from before my infertility journey Mm my childlessness like it it comes from way back you know a fear of failure and i i definite and and of course that all has exacerbated it and i absolutely still carry it and it's something that I need to negotiate all the time because like fear and fear of failure is not necessarily always a reason to do things right to try and do Mm -hmm. things but yes combined with that I also have a self-belief like I have a belief that I can be a non-swimmer and I can like attempt the channel. And I have a belief that I can be a non-mountaineer and attempt Everest. I mean, weirdly, I do actually think my IVF journey sort of did help me in my belief with those things because I feel like, like swimming the channel and climbing Everest are like really tough physical and mental endurance challenges. And I'd been through what I think is the hardest physical and mental endurance challenge, which is, you know, like 11 rounds of IVF. So I sort of came to those challenges from a belief that I could like I had some of the ingredients to for success. But what I underestimated, this was this thing that we talked about earlier, that, that success is out of my control in nature. But I also, um and I would say this was particularly with, with the mountains that i um because that that became in the end for a range of reasons a much longer journey than the channel took 6 years to get to the top of the world like i realized and i can say this really now that actually my physical and mental endurance wasn't enough on the mountains and i sort of slightly relied on that well i can carry on forever because i can beat anyone when it comes to mental endurance and mental strength, I can beat anyone, hands down. And I sort of relied on that too much. And I had to face my demons with that. I had to go and tackle some of my weaknesses, because I hate exercise, right? Genuinely, I know it looks nuts. You know, I've become the first, because in between swimming the channel and climbing Everest, I ran the London Marathon, and I've become the first woman on the planet to do those three things ever, Um, which is nuts to me. So, So you know, like now I am this like, athlete but I hate exercise and getting out of breath is just like an anathema to me I just do not want to get out of breath I hate it I had to go and get out of breath a bit to to, that you know because I wasn't strong enough on the mountain I couldn't just rely on my endurance I had to get fitter um but you know like I just treat that as I treat everything I try and treat everything now in life as like an adventure I went on an adventure and I, you know, worked out what I needed to do, what ingredients I needed to make that adventure cake. God, that's a terrible mix. (laughs) But, you know, like, and and I've enjoyed that. But there are certain things. I don't have self-belief in everything. It is inspirational
0: to me what you've done um, for so many reasons. You know, just it's relative, isn't it? Because for me, I hate exercise too. And, you know, I've done so many things in my life which I'm really proud of, you know, and just standing up in front of hundreds of people and doing presentations for work and things that I used to have a real, real fear of public speaking. And, And whilst I'm very confident, I'm also really insecure. Also, that that whole mix doesn't go too well with that. But I've achieved so many different things in my life. But the one thing that I struggle with, even today, is just I've got gym. In lockdown, we we turn the garage into an amazing gym with like the best equipment. Honestly, you'd think I'd have to go climb Everest to get in it. I just don't do it because it's not my go-to. I I pass a fridge that's got Sauvignon in it. You know, for God's sake, that's my that's my go-to. It's one of the things I I have a real challenge in myself, like why can't I apply myself to lose the two stone that I've been talking about for the last 10 years? You know, why can't I give myself the best chance? You know, so being fit and healthy at 45 is different than wanting to look fit and be attractive in your 30s. You know, now it's becomes more of a health issue now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, I'll drink too much wine. I'll eat the wrong food. You know, it's like one of those things that I think, right, so what has inspired me about you is that I'm not going to climb Everest, but it's identity, isn't it? I identify as a non-athlete, as somebody yeah. who doesn't do exercise. I identify myself as a drinker. But yeah. actually, you know, you can just step out of your comfort zone a little bit. It doesn't have to be extreme, but it can be a little bit to make you feel happier.
1: Yeah, and I I, abs- I mean, like, there's no doubt that moving releases I mean I don't understand the science of it I know they're called endorphins I don't I don't ask me what they are but you know like doing exercise you know like having the best physical and mental health and the best life you've used the phrase earlier about living your best life you know there are a number of things that like contribute to that and I definitely think physical movement, physical exercise is one of those things, as well as sort of like whatever you need to do to help your sort of mental health, because I think we need to think in terms of physical and mental health. And I mean, for me, you know, like I'm like you, you know, and I wrote about this in 21 miles that every this, you know, coming up for New Year, Lose, get to my target weight, and stone was always on my uh, New Year's resolution list, which was like totally schizophrenic because on the one hand I wanted to lose weight, and on the other hand I wanted to get pregnant and get fat, you know, and. I don't think that like I think women and all the women that I met in my book, like a lot of them had, you could tell had complex relationships with food because they didn't want to eat or, you know, like absolutely. Women have a complicated relationship with food, which we could have a whole session on, you know, which is not, you know, society, you know, has contributed to that. And I have and I always will. I mean, one of the things that like the challenges did for me and I'm not saying that it will work for everyone, but you have to find the thing that works for you, is that I wanted to swim the channel. You know, I'm driven by achievement and adventure. Those are my sort of two words, achievement and adventure. I wanted to go on this adventure to achieve these things. The process of doing them meant I had to move my body. And the moving my body was good for my body and it was good for my mind. And the amazing thing is, that for the last decade, I haven't really thought about what I eat anymore. I just eat what, I mean, when you're in full exercise for these things... You can eat whatever you like and really enjoy it. But just going to the gym without having that incentive of the thing that I'm working to won't work for me. I know that. And, you know, like the benefits that we've got of getting older is we get to know who we are. Mm -hmm. We get to know what works for us. Now, we've only met like this morning and we're having an amazing conversation and I don't know what would work for you. But like, if you do want to exercise more and, still enjoy food but enjoy it with you know like less of a fraught relationship it's about finding the key to what that is yeah be a key the movement is critical the mo- I, it, like to to help exactly as you say to physical and mental health so just I have to address this because it's just so inspirational
0: to me and amazing so you swam the channel and you climbed Everest and you're not athletic it's just, it is absolutely amazing achievement. By something so big? Well, in terms
1: of Everest. Or the or channel. I mean, the, the channel's the first well, one. I, I think, like, I, I often say, like, the channel is not the hardest sea to swim and Mount Everest is the highest, but it's not the hardest mountain to climb. I mean, neither of these things are easy. Don't get me wrong. They mm. are both very, very, very hard and not to be underestimated. But What they are, even though they might not be the hardest or, or whatever, is that they are probably the most iconic mm. versions of those things. So certainly Everest, I mean, and one of the challenges of climbing Everest is that everyone has an opinion about it about about the mountain because it's the most famous. she's the most famous mountain in the world you know everyone's heard of swimming nearly everyone's heard of swimming the channel you know like they might they haven't heard of swimming the north channel or like you you know all the all the other amazing swims that you can do around the world but you know because it was that very first iconic swim that was done in 1875 particularly in the uk it's really sort of and well and and america because the first woman to swim in the channel was american you know like it's really known around the world and I'm in a way you know I'm a bit unimaginative in that I have chosen to do these iconic things and I I think more than like coming at them from like well I'm going to swim the hardest swim or uh, climb the hardest mountain and and for me I just think it's because they're also so iconic they've been really useful in like you know, using them as campaigning tools to raise awareness around fertility and infertility, which I've done, um, and money. um, But also, you know... I I just think that like for me again it's about working out what drives you I am driven by like experiencing as much of the planet as possible it's something that I just particularly in the context of what I've not been able to have Mm. and so I just feel so privileged and excited still by the fact that I I know what it's like to be in the water in the sea for nearly 18 hours and swim from England to France. I know what it takes to get to be even become a contender and stand on Dover Beach and enter the water. I know what it's like to come out the other side. I know what it's like to climb, to, you know, to walk to base camp and then climb through the Khumbu Icefall, which is the most dangerous and difficult part of the Everest descent. And I know what it's like to stand on top of the world. I can, I know, I know it in my in every fiber of these things in every fiber of my body and my life is enriched so much by that I'm not saying that I'm suggesting for a moment that everyone should go and do these things but I do find think that everyone should go on an adventure their own adventure and challenge themselves to do the things that are going to enrich their lives and these things have enriched my life
0: there is sometimes oppression. People talk about it in the childless community that if you haven't had children, then you have to go away and become something big or do something big, you that's know. It. So, and, and you've done that amazingly and inspirationally. What would you say? I mean, like you just said there, like the question was, like, what do you say to make it relatable to somebody who, who really doesn't want to do anything big? You know, you don't have to do big, do you? To, oh,
1: god, you just no. need to find your passion in life, oh, absolutely. And that's that comparison thing again. I mean, I've had, I've had very, I'm very lucky. I mean, I'm not, I've not been massively prolific on social media Story is out there and I am on social media and I've had very, very, I must say I've had like virtually nothing but positive feedback about everything that I've done. But I remember someone who was childless did once tweet me, sent me a tweet and said, you know, it's all very well for you doing all these things, you know, like uh, that isn't the answer to to everyone. And, you know, like my answer to that, no, my answer to that is I've done, I've done these things first and foremost for me, I've written my books. I've swum the channel. I've run the marathon. I've climbed Everest. That is first and foremost being for me, and I share my stories of doing those things with other people in the hope that I can connect with other people and that it might help. Some people, or it might just be a great story for some people, you know, like, and some people who might not have even experienced childlessness. I've done these things for me. You've you got to, your job in life is to find find your own Everest. It can look whatever, you can be... You know, as big or as small as you like. I mean, my third book, whilst I've been climbing for Everest, I've been doing another challenge that I have been, that I always say that I'm feeling much more suited to because it's a creative challenge. So like while I was training, I, I also set myself the challenge of listening to every episode of my favorite radio show turned podcast, which is Desert Island Disc. And Desert Island Disc has been going since 1942 and there are over 3000 episodes. And it was, and I mean, like I am, and I said this earlier and I reiterate it, I'm an extreme person. This is extreme, right? 3,000 episodes, but it's totally different sort of channel, a challenge. It's totally free. You can do it from the comfort of your, I mean, I walked while I was doing it, but you could do it from the comfort of your sofa, you know, and it involved like listening to people talk and music. Um, and so, and that challenge, It was equally, if not even more important to me than climbing Everest. I mean, it was the combination of those two. They became inextricably linked. So I just say, well, yeah, that's my sort of big thing. Go on an adventure. It doesn't matter if it's high and far away or closer to home and in your head, but an adventure changes your life for the better. And you've got to find your Everest or find your channel or find your podcast or find your book or, you know, like whatever. It it absolutely doesn't need to be huge, but I am a huge... Exactly. And that's and that's, and that's, that's never be to stone again, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it is, and that's the thing, isn't it? Because people say, Oh, you don't, you know, I don't want to have to do anything. Well, you don't need to, you just need to find something that gives you yeah. passion again. That's so important, is finding something that gives you passion again. As I know, I, I could talk to you all day, but there's a, just to summarise like a few things that stood out for me that really sort of made my perception change. Um so hopefully we'll make some of the listeners. So there's a couple of things. One we've already mentioned, which is that could the thought of being a mum be worse than it actually being. But this other thing that I will read out, which you put in your book, and it's, the thing is, we're all just specks, specks in an infinite universe. In 100 years time, it won't matter who had a baby and who didn't. It doesn't now. It only matters to me because in my world, I am enormous. So I was trying to put things into perspective and it helps to think of myself as a speck. The important thing is to make the most of the short time I have here. And oh my God, again, I was like, wow, that's just, it's so, it puts so much into perspective for me. And Crazily, um, we went to um, Leicester have a like a space center. I mean, I've just been to the one in Houston, which is a lot more impressive. However, Leicester has its own space center. But I had this massive, like, existential angst that came out of it by the fact that by the stars, the amazing number of stars, and the facts, just the whole universe and the size of the universe and what a little speck. I couldn't have put it better. That thing, that that paragraph that I've just read. We are just specks, and, and what are we? But we are enormous in our own world, aren't we? But it's so important to realise and see that we do, it's that such sh- brevity of life and, and trying to make the most of what we have here. It definitely shifted my perception on the worries oh. that I have in life.
1: Oh, bless you. Yeah, I do. I feel, I still feel that. So funny, it made me think that I um I gave this talk a couple of weeks ago in Cardiff and at the end I sort of like, I, I sort of went totally off talk I just made this decision like I won't go into the reasons why but I made this decision that I wasn't going to give the talk that I prepared and so I was sort of just speaking from the like speaking from the hip and um and then I just sort of finished it by going we're all gonna die you know we're all dying very soon go out and you know like live your life you know, and, and then my friends who were at the tour, they were just like joking about it all evening, like Jessica going, we're all going to die. which, <laughs> um, but, but like, it is true, you know, like we are enormous in our own worlds. And that is... Um, that's fine. And, and I, and, and, you know, like one of the hard things about being childless in a way is like, you don't have children to think about. Yeah. You, I I wake up every day and think about Jessica apart from now I'm caring for my mother. So I do have some, like, I feel like I've got that experience of what it's like to care for someone. Um, but like, I, I can spend a lot of my time thinking about like Jessica in the world, how to live my best life, yeah. you know, I, I, and um, so I am enormous in my own life. But it does really help to remind myself that I am tiny.
0: Mm.
1: Also, and that in a few hundred years, it will not matter to anyone that I had a child or not. My books, in a way, are a bit like my babies, you know. Like, mm. and like that's a, a phrase that's been used before. And I'm sure you feel a bit like that about your podcast. These yeah. things will last into the future, and people will be able to listen back to us having this conversation on a December in 2022, We'll <laughs> be able to like decide about us as a result. But, but it, it doesn't matter in 200 years what I did, what we did, whether we had children. We can. We're just here now, and so. Whilst acknowledging that life is a struggle, like and my life is a struggle daily, 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 daily. I live, I live in joy and sadness daily. But I try and just like make the most of every moment, and it helps me to think of myself as a speck. A couple more things.
0: One is you said, and this just really stood out to me. So mothering about mothering, and you said, I love if I can't be the noun. Could I be the verb? So if you mm-hmm. can't be the noun as mother, you can still be the verb. And that is how I feel I am being now in the you know in the life of my grandchild. I'm not a mother, but I can still mother.
1: Mm. And absolutely, awesome. yeah. No, and I I feel that and You know, like, I I mean, we've never met before and we're only meeting on Zoom here in person, but you're like, I would say like you're, you're so maternal, maternal in like the most positive way, you know, and nurturing, you know, I felt really in, in this space heard and you've read my work and encouraged me. And like, those are all sort of mothering, nurturing instincts. And yeah, I think allowing ourselves to recognise, well, we might not be the noun, yeah, it, the, the factual sense of the word, maybe not, but that doesn't mean that we haven't got those qualities and that we can't, you know, enjoy and celebrate those qualities. Um, yeah, I really try and, yeah, take that into into the world.
0: And this really comes back to the last point that I wanted to talk to you about, and just for the simplicity of it. And it actually goes back to your own mum, which... So it's your mum's response when you asked her the question of what is her greatest achievement.
1: And it's so poignant. Yeah, she well, she said... um, She said... Well, actually, she she said she couldn't think of an achievement, I think. I'm trying to remember the conversation exactly. And then I said, well, I I remember I said to her that... um, what you're a mother, you know, it's two daughters... And she said that being a mother wasn't an achievement. Um, that's what you've been given. She thought so, so wise and she had a really, like, again, everyone's story is different. And what you've got, and in a way, this is a good way to to leave it, you know, like in as a sort of final words, which are that, you know, like you've got to find your route through this. And what, and I'm not saying that this is going to be the same for everybody, but like m- my mother and father had very, very difficult childhoods. And they weren't, and I've written a bit about this in 21 Miles, and I've written more about that in my new book. And so they weren't very good at being parents themselves, even though there was so much love you know Mm. so much love and of course love is what children need more than anything but they didn't really have role models themselves and so I had to be like a a parent when I was little to them and you know my I, I sort of like identified that my like pursuit of motherhood my desperate pursuit of motherhood was driven and we've talked about this Helen you know like by my desire to like you know relive my childhood you know and do it the right way round and you know um and and i do really acknowledge that and then i wasn't able to do that and now sort of in like you know, my life now with my mother being ninety, my father's passed away. That I am caring for her, you know, like like in but differently from when I was a child because I, w- I was a child. I wasn't. I mean, I I wasn't their parent. Whereas now, I really am sort of like my mother's parent. And like I think of that as a sort of blessing that the universe has kind of like I just try and see everything as a sort of sign as like, what is this trying to teach me? And it is trying to, and and I just sort of go, well, I am, I'm not her mother and this isn't the right way around. And I I do feel a bit of anger about that and a bit of sadness about that. But I also think like the universe is saying, yeah, but look at you being a mother here. You're embodying everything. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to care for their parents or everyone needs to find, their own caring responsibilities. I'm just saying that there are other ways to be a mother in the world if you want to, and there are other ways to live your life if you don't get the things that you always wanted. And that sort of like the perfect, you know, like sort of like holistic ending to that is because at the end of the day, this is the life we've been given and we are just specs and it's all gonna be gone in a heartbeat. And that's sort of like my philosophy in a nutshell. And you've brought it out. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, no,
0: that's amazing because it really isn't necessarily about parenting then, is it? Because even a parent, your mother, identified that that wasn't her greatest achievement, but, she, but it was like, if it can make people
1: happy, then that makes her happy. And oh, we, the- you, you yes, because that's what she said. If I can make other people happy, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what we should all do. Yes. Thank
0: you. So I've absolutely thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I can't thank you enough for well, being
1: part of the podcast. such an amazing interview and sort of engaging with all my work in such detail and so with such love. Well,
0: you've kept me awake at night this last week, honestly. I wanted to know what was going on and I cannot wait. So the, the book is out in t- 2024, is it? The next yeah,
1: I've yeah, I've written it. Also. I'll wait. Yeah, I'm afraid. <laughs> publishing world works really slow but I've just secured an amazing publishing deal for it so yeah it won't be out but I'll let you know maybe I can come back on the podcast then definitely oh thank you so much
0: wow how inspirational is Jessica I literally can't comprehend the mental and physical strength which Jessica has and hold nothing but the utmost admiration and respect for her what a truly inspirational woman I highly recommend reading her books, The Pursuit of Motherhood and 21 Miles and visit her website, jessicahatburn.com. Thank you for listening to my Happy and Childless podcast. My aim is to help empower you to move forward and take steps towards a happy and fulfilling life without children. Please subscribe to my podcast to hear more great episodes. Check me out on Instagram and happyandchildless.co.uk.